0: You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. Last week we met James, the younger half-brother of Jesus and the author of our letter that we're studying. He's a pastor in Jerusalem, and persecution and hardship have caused his congregation to scatter. Now he's writing to some of... Last week we met James, the younger half-brother of Jesus and the author of our letter that we were studying. He's the... Last week we met James the younger half-brother of Jesus and the author of our letter. He's a pastor in Jerusalem, and persecution and hardship have caused his congregation to scatter. And now he is writing to them some of the things that he would have typically been preaching to them in person. Only now he does not know their exact circumstances and is only getting reports on some of the behavior Uh, that they are getting involved in, and things that are happening to them while they are apart. No, this is not about me missing you, although that is true, and in many ways, James is a good letter for us to be reading right now when we are scattered. During this past week, we heard some of the themes that James was going to be touching on time and time again in this letter, and they included testing and steadfastness wisdom, words, and correction, richness, and need, hearing, and doing. James is going to go on to repeat and address these themes from many different angles and and try to cover a diversity of needs that his church members are being faced with while they are away from the place that they call home. In James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4 we were encouraged to consider trials and hardships of all kinds as producers of joy because we know that God uses them to grow us and bring us to a place of completion. We can do this because Jesus is our assurance and the one who brings us to completion. We can take comfort in the fact that in Christ we lack nothing even though it may not seem like it until that very last day for today our big idea is simple in jesus every good and completed gift is ours do not rest in and rely upon yourself so let's get started in james chapter 1 verses 5 through 8 if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask god As a follow-up to the reality of their suffering and their hardship, their trials of various kinds, James starts by helping to equip these Christians with the wisdom that they need for everyday living. He tells us that when we ask God, God does not snap back and say, Oh, oh, now you want wisdom. After you've made bad choices and wrecked this whole part of your life, And after you finally figured out that you can't make it out there on your own, now you want wisdom. (laughs) No, God does not respond in that way, with reproach, as James says it. Jesus himself, when speaking to the Pharisees, put it in more vivid and dramatic terms. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For every one who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, (laughs) know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Not only will God not mock you when you ask for wisdom, but He'll actually gift it to you. Well, that's a good deal. James is telling us, don't hesitate to take God up on this. Built into that idea of wisdom, however, is not that God is going to give you an answer to something. No, He is actually going to give you the tools that you need to come up with an answer that honors him. In fact, there's a whole book in our Bibles related to that called Proverbs. James also continues to warn us, though, that we should ask in seriousness. Because if we're asking to try to make God happy, while the whole time we've got our side hustle going on, while we're trying to work all the angles and use all of our own cleverness This is not what God desires of us. And in that case, God will probably let us use our worldly wisdom. And maybe it'll work out, and maybe it won't, but either way, you will always then be a person who is tossed around uh, like a wave on the ocean, always wondering if maybe I should have trusted God more, or maybe I should have trusted God less. Or maybe I should have done everything different, or maybe I should have done nothing at all. You're always going to be double-minded and unstable, as James says it. And in the midst of that double-mindedness and unstableness, anything that you gain will be something that you claim that you got for yourself. And let's just be honest, anything that we lose in using our own wisdom is probably going to be something that we blame God for losing. It's going to be his fault. That may mean that you're resting on your own knowledge and authority in something. You're resting in your own power, your old gods, your own ignorance, or some mix of all of it. And when we do that, we find ourselves then not able to receive what God desires to gift to us because our arms are too full of what we've tried to gather up for ourselves. And so very simply, James says, If you need wisdom, ask for it, and it will be given to you. Moving on to verses 9 through 11, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. It is hard to tell from these two verses alone what exactly is going on in the lives of James's readers. I think James does this on purpose for a couple of reasons, though. First, because he wants to make sure that he is giving a word to everyone that's reading. That is, that it needs to be understood by many people and to meet them where they are at. Also, because as the letter continues, he will get into more detail about some of these issues, some of these themes. But for now, let's just see two things that these verses can be speaking into. These Christians who are now scattered uh, do not have the financial resources or the good support systems that they did have where they were at in Jerusalem. And this means they're going to have to figure something out. They're going to have to labor and provide for themselves and those around them this faces them with two problems potentially one they could be tempted to simply live a life of jealousy they've just now moved to a city where they're looking around and everyone else got to keep their business and keep their job this person got to keep their livelihood while i was forced away from them. they have to start over and they're forced to begin at the bottom all of you listening to this understand this in some way or another. All of us have experienced this in one way or another, and many of you have experienced this in very severe and serious ways. James wants you to know that you would be right in thinking that this is not easy, or necessarily good, or even something that you are prepared for. But do not think that the wealth that you do not have would make you happy. It is a flower that dies. Me personally, I actually like flowers. I would have considered being a florist. I think I have an eye for it. I don't know if Tara agrees or not. Tara, on the other hand, well, she likes flowers now. But when we met, she hated flowers. She would receive them with an unwelcoming eye and remind me that these pretty little things were going to die. They were basically composting in her hands as I gave them to her. (laughs) This is wealth. It dies. And so will you if it is all that you chase. It'll decompose right in your hands. James is saying, Christian, You may appear to be humiliated right now, but do not forget the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Do not forget that you are glorified and exalted next to Christ right here and right now, even if you don't see it yet. Perhaps the second temptation is that of the entrepreneurial person. That is the person that's always got the next plan in place to make the next buck. Someone who says, well, I'm separated from all that I know and love and my church is a thing of the past right now. I will put all that I have into my career. I'll make all of my money. I'll beat the odds. I will be the dream. To which James says, the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. You will have to enjoy it while it lasts, because this thing that you want to give all of yourself to is a bad god that will kill you and damn you. The gift in that box, James is saying, is not nearly as beautiful as the wrapping that it comes in. Verse 12 tells us instead what a blessed person actually looks like. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For us, being blessed can mean pursuing our career or a particular job to get out of a hardship. But if it becomes the only thing you care about, If it becomes your only calling, then you have not remained steadfast. You have not held fast to what God has given you to do. You have not remained in the vocations, the many places that he has called you to. Instead, you have decided to trade it all in for something that's going to burn up and fade away. So, instead of that, James says... Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. The idea conveyed in this text is not one of reward necessarily. At some point, we will talk about rewards and if they play a part in the Christian faith. Now, this is showing us a picture of a journey or a race that has been. Competed in and completed well. The kind of crown being spoken of here is a crown of olive leaves given to the athlete who competes and wins. Now, we do not win in the Christian life or defeat the challenges of a Christian life, but we can run with endurance. We are given good gifts by Christ to run as good and faithful servants. And here James is encouraging us to do just that. In verses 13 through 15, we read this Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Though God does test us and place trials in front of us so that we can have the proof of the solid faith that Jesus has given to us through the Holy Spirit, he does not tempt us. God does not place sin and evil in front of us and say, don't touch it, don't do it, Don't bite into that beautiful piece of bait because underneath is a hook and it will have you for lunch. (laughs) No, God doesn't do that. Satan has a hand in it for sure. He wants you to take the bait, bite the hook, get caught up. Because as Peter tells us, he's a hungry lion looking for someone to eat up. And honestly, prey that's caught in a trap is a lot easier to catch than a zebra running free on the plains. So, if temptation does not come from God, and Satan doesn't actually show up in this part of the text, then where does temptation come from? Oh, well, this is the worst part of all of it. The part that we all try to ignore and forget and blame on God, or Satan, or the person standing next to us. Temptation is brought out by our own desire. It comes from inside of us. Which is why Paul, in Romans chapter 7, verses 21 to 25, he's talking about how he loves God's desires for his life, but immediately realizing that as soon as He decides he wants to do what God is commanding him to do. Sin is close at hand. It's right inside of him. All of a sudden, he wants to ignore God and do his own bidding and follow his own rules. And in reaction to this, Paul cries out, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? To which his response is actually quite simple. Thanks be to God through our Savior Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what are we going to do? Because my own person and my own desires keeps pulling me into temptation and it pushes me into sin. And that sin wants to keep pushing me until I am thrown off the cliff to my own death. Said another way. My desire has a baby named sin, and that baby grows up and kills me. (laughs) So what are we going to do? We must simply receive. We have to hold out empty hands of faith and confess along with Paul, Thanks be to God through our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the one that rescues us from this death-producing body. He is the one that saves us from the long suicide called unforgiven sin. Christian, to paraphrase James's words then at the, in these final verses of this section, verses 16 to 18, Christian, do not be confused by this world that you find yourself in. In Jesus, every good and completed gift is yours. Do not rest in and rely upon yourself. Jesus, along with every good gift that he gives, comes from our loving Father who does not change his mind. There is no shadow of turning in him. Through his word of truth, he brought us forth as new creations made whole and complete in the person and the work of that truthful word, Jesus, our Creator, our Savior, and our Sustainer. An Anchored Baptist Church, that is good news. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ... And the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.